Amen. Amen. Church, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1. And this morning, I'd like for us to consider that very thing that you just saw on the screen. One gospel. There's one gospel. Uh, Pastor Jamie and I, whenever we began to talk with the church staff about where we would go after our Proverbs study, we knew that many of you were already in the book of Romans in your small groups. And so we just began to pray and seek God's face. And God led us to this point where we wanted to try to somewhat catch up with you. Here's, here's what I'll say. The book of Romans is, man, it's just incredibly rich. All of God's word is, right? It's, it's the very breath of God. It's the spoken word of God from Genesis to Revelation. But there's something about the book of Romans that just really digs into the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul, in writing Romans, unfolds some of what we sometimes call the very mysteries of God's grace. There's, there's some aspects of salvation and grace that, that appear in the book of Romans that just, that just make the truth of the gospel come alive. I first preached through Romans as a book about 10 years ago at my former church. And when I did, let me just go ahead and tell you, it took me right at two years to preach it. Pastor Jamie and I won't take two years to preach it this time. There, there's a lot. You can really dig deep. Now, I didn't just preach it two years straight. I kind of did a break here and there. But the series in itself was almost two years in length. So understand, what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're basically going to look at a chapter at a time. And as we do that, you need to, you need to understand, when I say bring your seatbelts and buckle in, strap in, because there's going to be times where we move really fast, but at the same time, we're going to dive deep, even if it's just for a few moments, so that we can be reminded of God's incredibly deep, rich grace that He has shared with us as His people. Romans chapter 1. We're going to read just two verses this morning. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Many have said that this right here, these two verses, we actually just saw them on the screen, are, are really the, the key, the theme of all of the book of Romans. If you want to know and understand what, what Paul's doing in the book of Romans, you've got to understand beginning right here, Romans 1, 16 through 17, because then it just kind of lays out the truth of the rest of the book. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that as we dig into your word this morning, that Lord, we would be reminded of just the truth and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for sending your Son, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, who lived a perfect life without sin, yet who was willing to go to the cross to die of the sins of me and everyone in this room, the sins of the entire world. But Lord, we know through the truth of this one gospel that the blood of Christ will only cover the sins of those who trust in you, who call upon him, who seek his face. 
So Lord, I pray that as we dive into this new study, the book of Romans, and we consider this one gospel, that we will be reminded, Lord, not only of who you are and what you've done for us in our lives, but Lord, that we would be reminded of who we now are in Christ. Lord, we would be reminded of why you put us here. Lord, why you keep us here. Lord, how you desire to use us to share this one gospel. And then we'll trust you to do the work of transformation. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never heard the truth of the gospel, that right now you would take off the scales from their eyes. You would open up their ears, penetrate their hearts through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, and that you would breathe life into them today. Lord, for us as your people, the church, Lord, we would be reminded and reinvigorated by the power of the gospel. Lord, do a fresh work in us. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. To understand where we're going, you've got to understand what's happening here in the book of Romans. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome because he was really at first trying to introduce himself to these people that he had heard about. If you continue to read through the book of Romans, read through Romans chapter 1. We just don't have time to read the whole chapter this morning. You'll see that Paul had a great desire to go see these new believers, see the believers in Rome. Because word was spreading that God had already begun to do a great and mighty work there. And Paul had a longing to go there and meet his new brothers and sisters in Christ. Yet at the same time, when he went there, he wanted to proclaim one message. For the rest of the people who were there... For those who didn't know Jesus, Paul had a great desire to preach the truth of the gospel. So Paul, in writing this letter, had this desire to go meet these new believers in Rome and at the same time preach the gospel so hopefully that God would do a work in them and there would be even more new believers there in Rome. Paul had this great desire to meet his new brothers and sisters in Christ, but most importantly, to continue to proclaim the truth of the gospel. You see, when you open up the book, open up all the book, open up the Bible, when you open up especially the book of Romans, you see that it's all about the gospel. It's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and who he is and what that means for us today. The book of Romans is about God's amazing grace and how it's extended to each and every person. How he offers salvation to anyone and everyone, to all who will place their faith in Jesus Christ. It's an incredible book of God's richness and his grace. It's an incredible book of the gospel. In verses 16 through 17, we see really the theme of the entire book and really gives us a greater understanding, a really a look into the depths of the gospel. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want to consider four truths of the gospel as it relates to Romans 1, 16 through 17. So if you're taking notes, keep up quick because we're going to keep on moving. All of Romans is about the gospel, but Romans 1, 16 through 17 really gives us four particular, very specific and powerful truths about the gospel. Here's the first one. The gospel is indeed powerful. The gospel in and of itself is indeed powerful. Look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. The word here for power Literally, it comes from the word where we get our word for dynamite. 
whenever you do a study on, on the character of God, you see that he is, he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is the one being. He is the only one who is absolute all-power. And everything that emanates from God consists of that power. So hear me. God is the God of salvation. God is the God of the gospel. So the gospel in and of itself carries this omnipotence, this all-powerfulness. You see, the gospel, it's the power to save people from sin and to give them eternal life. The gospel itself is God sharing his power with sinful man so that we might be rescued and that at the same time as we're rescued, he gives us the promise of eternal life. The gospel itself is powerful. You see, our human nature, we desire to be changed for the better, right? We we, sometimes we fight and resist change, but when it comes to change ourselves, if it means that things get better for us, that's when we like change. We, we want to feel good. We want to be smarter. We want to look better. We want to be more wealthy. We want to have more power. And the world gets this, especially our Western culture, right? I mean, society spends, companies, advertising companies spends millions, billions of dollars every year feeding to this understanding that deep down inside, man wants to be better. They try to convince us that if you'll pay a little bit of money here, if you'll follow these three steps here, or if you get really desperate, follow these 10 steps. But if, but if you'll pay into this, you'll buy this product, you'll use it, you'll do this, you'll do that. If you'll take these steps, then, then you'll start looking better. You'll start feeling better. Your life will just be happier. You'll get more wealth, right? The world gets it. The world understands. And our Western society pours billions of dollars into it because this is the heart of every man. But there's nothing. Hear me. There's absolutely nothing that this world has to offer that can change a person, you or me or anybody else. There's nothing that this world has to offer that can change anyone on the inside and take away this feeling of inadequacy. It's just our human nature. We're looking for something else to make us feel better, to make us feel stronger. And, and we're always looking here and there, yet there's nothing else anywhere that this world has to offer that can fill that natural void. But here's the good news. Though the world fumbles it, though the world fails it, though the world cannot fill it, there's one gospel. There's one gospel. There's saving faith in Jesus Christ that can absolutely changes from the inside even to the out. There is a powerful gospel even though we are powerless. The scriptures teach us, you'll see some verses on the screen. Really, man, man, woman, boy, girl, we're all powerless, but there's power in the gospel. Romans chapter 5 verse 6, you'll see it on the screen. Romans 5 verse 6 says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we're going to get there eventually. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 through 4, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by flesh, God did. You see, God gave us a law originally to help bring us into a relationship with Him, but the law was was flawed, not the law itself, but because we were a part of that law and keeping that law, our flesh got in and ruined it. So what the law couldn't do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Jesus Christ came in our likeness, but He was without sin, so He could offer His life as that sin offering. In order that, the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, you and I are characterized by sin, and what we should be is guilty in, in, in front of God and, and, and deserving of all of His condemnation. But if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we see that His gospel is powerful. And as a receiving of Christ as Savior, He shares with us His love, His mercy, and His grace. How is that possible? Because God is omnipotent. Because He is all-powerful. Even when we're weak. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. That leads us to the second truth that really stems out of God's power. That not only the gospel is, is all powerful, the gospel itself is powerful, but hear me, the gospel then brings salvation. Because the gospel is powerful, it is, it is adequate enough, it is sufficient enough, it is more than that, it brings salvation. Pick up in verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. You see, the most powerful work of God is surely salvation. Salvation is God's transforming of wicked, sinful human nature and giving us eternal life through Jesus Christ. There is no greater power than the power of God that is expressed through salvation. God is all-powerful, and because He's all-powerful in His love, mercy, and grace, He extends that power through the gift of Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins and to take our place. The gospel is powerful. It brings salvation. Some said, well, did, did sin catch God by surprise? No, it didn't. Right? God, God knew from the very beginning what His plan would be. We sometimes think that the gospel is just, is just portrayed and realized in the New Testament. But the truth is, is God's, God's work of salvation begins in Genesis chapter 1. All throughout the scriptures, you can see time and time again where God is expressing his covenant to his people and is revealing his power that ultimately he's bringing sinful man back into a right relationship with him. It's incredible to see God's power and his grace extended into salvation, saving a wicked people for his glory. Psalm 106, verse 8, you'll see it. It says, yet he saved them for his name's sake. Why? to make His power known. So from His first chosen people, the Israelites, to you and me, 
God offers us salvation to reveal his power, but ultimately so that his power can be expressed and realized by a lost and dying world. Why did God save us? Do we deserve it? This is the audience participation part of our service this morning. Why did God save us? Do you and I deserve it? Absolutely not. That's not a trick question, I promise you. I'll speak of myself. Do I deserve it? No. There's nothing in me that's worth saving. There's nothing in me that's good enough. There's nothing in me that's deserving of God's grace and mercy. There's nothing in me that says, God, you should kill your son instead of me. It's true of you. Yet God in his grace and mercy, revealing his power, offers salvation and saves us so that we could proclaim this good news so that all might understand the truth of salvation. The gospel is powerful. The gospel brings salvation. The gospel brings deliverance. That's what salvation means. Delivered from a life of sin into a right relationship with him. That's the power of the gospel bringing salvation. There's a third truth. The gospel not only is powerful and the gospel brings salvation, but the gospel itself comes through faith. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Listen, to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. You see, salvation comes to everyone who believes. That word there means to trust, to rely upon, to have faith in. You see, we have faith in a lot of things, right? In planes. How many of you get on a plane and just know that it's never going to crash? You don't. You just have faith that it's not. That's why we keep getting on airplanes. How many get in a vehicle and just, and just know that it's never going to lose its power steering? We don't. We just have faith it's not going to happen. And so we get in the car and we drive. We just, we just have faith in, in a lot of different things. And, and hear me, this is all natural faith. What Paul is speaking of here is so much more than a natural faith. This is a saving faith, a, as we say, a salvific faith. There's so much more than just having, I think, I'll, I think this might be the case because I've seen it over and over again. No, th this, is a, this is a certainty. I trust, I know, I believe. Why? It goes back to the omnipotence of God. We have faith in Him and, and His power and the work of salvation, this power bringing salvation, and we place our faith in that, a certainty, a trust, a without a doubt, a different kind of faith. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, you'll see it, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Now, believe it or not, as incredible as that passage is, there's actually some debate. Just a little. There's some debate on what this passage means. And look, as Pastor Jamie and I, as we dig a little deeper into these doctrines of grace and this understanding, can I, can I just go ahead and say it here? Look, can, can we just... 
can we just get along and understand that ultimately we serve a powerful God who, who works in ways that we don't fully understand? Can, can we just agree that, that God is in control, He's sovereign over all things, and yet at the same time, you and I are responsible somehow for our own actions and our own desires and our own choices that we make? There's a beautifully mysterious truth to the gospel even here in Ephesians 2, but ultimately what this truth is revealing to us, what we do see certainly is that true saving faith is not simply saying that we're a Christian. True saving faith is, is not just getting dunked in the pool over there. True saving faith is, is not just drinking some juice and eating a cracker every so often. True saving faith is, is not going to church True saving faith is, is not doing good things. True saving faith is trusting. It's believing. It's repenting of our sins, turning from that way of life, and placing all of our faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. That's faith. That's belief. That's trusting. That is certainty. You see, salvation comes when we give up, praise God, our wickedness, but even our good, whatever that little bit of good might be. Salvation comes when we give all of our life to Christ and we give Him our goodness and our wickedness. We give Him our works. We give Him our knowledge. We give Him our wisdom. We give Him our understanding like we saw in Proverbs. We give Him everything. You get it? Salvation comes when we repent of our sins, we turn from our sins, and we give God everything, and we trust completely in the work of Jesus Christ. When we place our faith in Him, that's when salvation comes. And salvation is available to all kinds of people. That's what Paul's getting at here. Salvation comes to everyone who believes First to the Jew and also to the Greek. You see, to the Jew first and to the Greek also simply indicates the priority of the Jews in salvation history. doesn't mean they'll be the only ones saved. In fact, there will be many Jews who are not saved because they don't trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. There, there's, a, there's a place where God has clearly a desire and a, and a use and a, and, a, and a place where He's still going to continue to use Messianic Jews. But salvation here, what Paul is saying is it's offered to the Jew first and the Greek as well. It's offered to anyone and everyone who will place their faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is available, hear me, to all. But it will only, salvation will only be realized by those who place their faith in Christ. Again, we're going to dig into some deep places where I do completely agree that there is an understanding of God's sovereign choice of His people. Where God chooses. God predestines. God elects. Hear me, church, don't be afraid of those words. Because they're in the Scripture and they're beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. Yet at the same time, as we wrestle with that, we see that God absolutely holds us accountable. Just read through Romans chapter 1. There's the guilt of the Gentile world here. 
because all of creation proclaims that there is a God and that God has revealed himself one specific and particular way through Christ himself. And even though we might wrestle with these concepts of grace, there is no wrestling with this fact. That salvation comes to all who will place their faith in Jesus. And for those who reject it, they'll spend eternity separated from him in hell. It's the scary part of this truth. But the gospel itself is good, good, good news. Salvation comes through the gospel because it's powerful. Salvation is realized ultimately through faith. Finally, the gospel is revealed in righteousness. Go to verse 17. The gospel itself is ultimately revealed in righteousness. But there's good news here because we'll see that his righteousness is now ours. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This righteousness of God can, can also be translated as righteousness from God. So, so this righteousness here being from God, it helps us to understand that God actually gives us his righteousness. God gives his righteousness to, to all those who believe, to all those who trust in Christ, to all those who've received salvation. God has says, now my righteousness actually is yours. Wait a minute. I didn't hear an amen there. God says, I love you. I'm going to save you. And I'm going to give you my righteousness. And all God's people said, listen, church, there's good news to the gospel. That it doesn't end just in the moment that we trust in Jesus Christ. But each and every day, the expression of that faith in our lives is fleshed out. That Now that we've received God's grace, now that we've received his mercy, now that we've received his love, at the same time we've received his righteousness, it is lived out and fleshed out for all to see. We have the ability to live a life that's no longer characterized by sin. We have the ability. We have the power because it's power of God. Now, let's be honest, or I'll be honest. We still struggle. We acknowledge that. We wrestle, right? Paul himself writes here in this book that, that you know, sometimes he does the very things he didn't want. He wrestles with sin, and there's, there's the sin in his life that keeps rearing his ugly head, and, and it just, it sometimes it's just like, it just wants to take over his life, but, but in the end, he understands that our lives can be lived out where they're no longer characterized by sin. But the righteousness of God itself can be expressed for all to see, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is in us. How do we know it? Romans 3, 21 through 24, again, we'll be there soon. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ, listen, to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a verse that many of us have memorized, but listen, there's more to the story. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul would later write to the church Philippi, 
Philippians 3, 8-9 says, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Listen closely, church. Because of Him, because of Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, as poo, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Listen, here it is. This is where it gets really good. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So that when you and I receive the salvation that Jesus Christ alone offers, that God extends upon us his righteousness. And it comes through faith. And this righteousness then, the scriptures tell us here in Romans 1, 17, that this righteousness given by God is from faith to faith. In other words, it's, it's by faith from start to finish. Every day of our lives, after we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed in our lives by the faith that continues to mold and shape us. Paul goes on to clarify, the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, that, that faith in His righteousness should mark every bit of our lives. It's by faith that we initially receive the gift of salvation, but it's also by faith that we live each and every day. Each and every day. We continue to place all of our hope and trust in Christ. And as we do so, he continues to pour out his love, mercy, and grace in our lives. And our lives are characterized by the very righteousness of God. In other words, faith is not a one-time deal. Salvific faith is not a one-time deal. Not yet. The moment of justification, we'll get to that word in the book of Romans. That once we're truly saved, we're always saved. The moment that we truly place our faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment we're justified, we're declared just before a righteous God through the blood of Christ. That happens in a moment. And that can happen for you right now if you'll place your faith in Christ. But this salvific faith continues to play itself out the way that our lives are characterized by the righteousness of God himself when we just live our lives to the glory of God. This is the beautiful truth of the gospel. As, as we close this morning, if you've never met the person who's the center of the gospel, Jesus Christ, then a lot of what I've shared this morning might seem very odd to you. It might seem foolish. Paul acknowledges that here in Romans 1. That, that if you don't know Jesus, and especially as we continue to walk through the book of Romans, especially, you're going to be like, what in the world is that preacher saying? It doesn't make sense. It's hard to grasp. Because it's so foreign from our wicked minds. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this might sound strange. 
but there's still good news for you. Jesus Christ came to this earth being God in the flesh who took his place among wicked men, lived a perfect life, yet was willing to go to a cross, was willing to be nailed to a cross for your sins and mine. And at the moment that he died on the cross, he, at that moment, took all the sins of those who would trust him and, and nailed them to the cross so that, so that the, the, the price and the consequence of sin could be paid for. He was placed into a tomb and three days later he arose so that now those who trust in him, not only, have we, not only has the penalty for sin been paid, but, but then there's been even a conquering of the grave where, where we who placed our faith in Jesus Christ can know that one of these days we'll spend eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Amen. Why? Because the price of sin was paid and the grave was conquered. All on the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Though it might sound strange right now, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, I trust that the Holy Spirit is doing something. I can't change your heart. I can't do it. I, I can't stay up here and preach long enough to fool you, to trick you. That's not my job. My job is to explain the truth of the gospel and then ask, do you believe Will you trust in him today? Will you surrender your life? Will you give him your all? Will you say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I turn from my sins. And Lord, I, I trust in you, Christ. I know that I can't do it. I know that I can't make it. I know that I can't be good enough. I know that I've done nothing to deserve your love, mercy, and grace. But Lord, I trust you. Will you do that today? If you're here this morning, in a moment, we're going to have a time to commit there'll be a pastor in the back room but even this altar will be open we'll ask you to observe social distancing but we'd love to tell you how you can trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord there'll be an opportunity for those who are joined by by live stream a way for you to text and and and, and ask someone for what, what does it mean to be saved and how can I place my faith in Jesus Christ if that's you this morning listen right now today at this moment this is the time to place your faith in Christ and though it may seem strange I trust that the power of the Holy Spirit will grip your heart and do a work in you for the rest of us if you've trusted in Christ then might you be ashamed of the gospel? You see, Paul had one burning desire. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But before he gets to that, his burning desire was to make it to Rome and to encourage, to, to equip, to edify the church and to evangelize the lost. God's pri Paul's primary purpose was to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We who are gathered in this room, we who are joining online, who say we've trusted in Christ. Might we be ashamed of the gospel? When's the last time you shared the good news with someone else? If we believe it, if we know that there's one gospel if we know that there's only one way for sinful man to be made right with holy God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, church, coming here close, when's the last time you shared that good news with someone who didn't trust in Jesus? We say we believe it. Do we live it? Do we proclaim it? 
Do, do we live lives that are characterized by his righteousness? Do we each and every day decide to lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares and entangles us and take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow after him? Do we live more like Jesus today than we did yesterday? Preacher, I believe in the gospel. How are you living today? Are you ashamed to tell others about the power of the gospel? Hear me, let me challenge you. Believe, trust, have faith that there is power in the gospel. And that as we live our lives for the glory of God, proclaiming his truth to anyone and everyone, we'll let him decide who's elect. We'll let him decide who he chooses. We'll let him handle all of that. We will just be faithful to share the good news with anyone and everyone and we'll trust the Holy Spirit to do an incredible work of salvation. Church, that's why we're here. That's why God leaves us here. That's God's plan. That's God's design. That's his purpose. That's the purpose and the power of the gospel. There is no plan B. There's one gospel. And he expects us as his people to proclaim that one gospel from the neighborhoods to the nations. In our actions, in our deeds, but even more so by our words. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that as we enter in this time of commitment, that, Lord, right now, you would continue to do a mighty work in us. Lord, I thank you for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you that there is power in the gospel. Lord, I pray that right now, if there's anyone here who's never trusted you, that, Lord, right now, the Holy Spirit would move in their lives. Lord, in this room or joining us online. Lord, we've heard the truth of the gospel. I pray that it would penetrate our hearts. Lord, for we who are the believers, Lord, that we would never be tired of hearing the truth of the gospel. The Lord, we would just be reminded again and again and again about your grace. And Lord, that even in that grace, you extend to us your righteousness to live a holy life set apart from the world. Life that's characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, help us to live more like Christ each and every day so that all might see and ultimately hear of the power and the truth of the gospel in our lives. Lord, remind us, encourage us, and challenge us. And in the end, Lord, I pray that you would use us for your glory. Lord, we know the truth of the gospel is that you sent your son to die for us to proclaim your goodness and greatness to all. And that's why you've left us here. It's all about your glory. It's all about your praise. And Lord, this morning we give you our lives. And we say thank you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.